Welcome back to the Futures Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lenehan, and I'm excited to be sharing this episode in partnership with one of my oldest work collaborators, Primark. Or for those of you listening in Ireland, Pennies. I took a major turn in my career a few years ago when I realised the harmful impact fashion was having on our environment. I'm proud of the work Primark is doing to help initiate systemic change in the industry, and I'm delighted to help them spread the word on the plans that they have made to redefine what affordable, more sustainable products means to everyone over the next eight years and beyond. Still Garden is not your run-of-the-mill distillery. Homed in Dublin 8, the team here has cultivated a community-led garden from which they are proudly sourcing botanicals for their range of fresh and sustainable libations. What began as gifting a handful of -of out-of-work bartenders some grow kits during the first COVID-19 lockdown has blossomed into their social botanist project with herbs, fruit trees, berries and more cultivated and nurtured by local community with a little help from Still Garden's resident gardener, Connor Howlett. Connor joins me today to offer his expertise on how we can all encourage nature to bloom in even the most inhospitable of locations and shares how the ingredients grown at the garden are translated into delicious cocktails and spirits. Warning, you will be extremely thirsty after this chat. From their tree planting initiatives and nature walks to group gardening sessions and national pollinator plan, Still Garden is inspiring residents to get their hands dirty in the best way. Thank you so much for listening. As always, please don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a review if you like, and share this with a friend. Over to my conversation with Connor. Connor, you are so welcome to the podcast this morning. I feel like we should be doing this like in the garden or at least with like birds singing around us. <laughs> but this will have to do for now. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. You say that about birds. I have lots of pigeons outside my window. So uh, I have, I'm surrounded by birds. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> Well, you have honestly such a fascinating role and I've only recently come to even know about the distillery. So Still Garden is in Dublin 8 um, and it's such a progressive idea and I'm absolutely dying to get down there. But in the meantime, for people like me who haven't been, can you tell me a little bit about your role and how you got involved? Yeah, absolutely. So my role is gardener in residence uh, at Still Garden Distillery which is an experimental distillery, as you said, in, in Dublin 8 and Inchicore. Um, that's a bit of a strange role to have at uh, a distillery. Like uh, I've met a few people and uh, I've been introduced by the head distiller uh, to some uh, of the bartenders in the industry as uh, I'm the gardener from the distillery. Uh, and they tend to think that's a nickname. They don't <laughs> tend not to actually think that that's a natural role. So I've, I've had situations where I've met someone and they said, oh, so you're the gardener, but like, what do you actually do? Um <laughs> And it's like, well, I, I, I got, um, so maybe they thought I was good at garnishes or something like that uh, behind the bar. But um, I mean, in terms of what it actually involves, um, so we're, we're very lucky. We have a community garden at, uh, at the distillery. Um, well, the distillery is actually in an industrial state and kind of in the entrance to the estate, there's, there's a strip of land um, that we kind of reclaimed uh, and rejuvenated into, into the community garden we have there. So it's, it's open to everyone. Anyone can come down and, uh, and, and see it and, and walk through it and use it. Uh, that's kind of very much what we want to encourage. We want people to be able to, to use the botanicals we have growing there and then also contribute as well. And uh, it's something that we very much noticed in that it was a space that used to be a dumping site. So there was lots of litter. And I mean, there's, there's a fence that kind of borders the garden and behind the fence is still very much that kind of land, uh, wasteland, I guess, would be, we would be called. Um, and there's things like uh, burnt out 
toilets and uh, things like that and it's kind of like how does that even happen burnt out toilets and um, wild microwaves and things like that uh, all going down there so not too much of botanical interest um, but then the garden itself now has kind of been reclaimed and rejuvenated so we have a lot of the, the native wildflowers that we grown there so we have poppies that just sprang up um, we have things like uh, Patterson's Curse which is a beautiful kind of purple blue wildflower that the bees absolutely love and that just sprung up uh, as well like we we didn't put any seeds of that there uh, it's kind of come up through through the ground um but i mean what happened with the garden initially is that i mean the distillery was going to open in march 2020 which obviously isn't the best time to uh, open any kind of business mm-hmm. let alone the distillery and uh, so vicky is the boss lady of uh, of still garden uh, and pat is our builder husband um they came up with a plan to kind of transform this this space in the estate uh, with the help of the community um into into the garden so pat built a layout for it he then built chairs that are two meters apart as well so people could social distance outside and 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 sit down and enjoy the the kind of botanical surroundings uh, but in terms of actually adding the plants there um what happened was we gave some outer work bartenders some hydroponic kit, kits to grow botanicals at home so the hydroponic kits are, are grow kits that have a light attached but then they also have a kind of water system underneath um, which sounds a lot fancier than it is. What it is is there's basically a funnel and then you pour a bit of water into it and it basically tricks the plants because they have the, the light on top and then through osmosis, they're they're taking in the water through the root system, but it's without having to put the water on top of the soil, which can sometimes lead to mold growing and, and root rot, which obviously you don't want. Um, but it means also that they could grow it even if they didn't have a one, sunny windowsill. So even if you're living in a dark room, you could you can use a hydroponic kit to grow, to grow things at home. Um, uh, so they grew grew some botanicals and then brought them back to the garden, which is basically what established the botan- botanicals garden. Um, and then that's since expanded. So we have windowsill kits um, for people who do have sunny windowsills and um, seed packs as well that we distribute out into the community. And that's also how I first got involved with the with the project is that I was one of the people in the community who was walking past one day and suddenly saw that uh, this part of the industrial state, which hadn't looked very interesting at all before was suddenly a garden. And there was a little sign that said, what's going on here. And, and then it, it said what, what was going on. And if you want to get involved, then to, to kind of get in touch or just pop down to say hi to the distillery. Um, and Neil, who was the gardener there at the time, he gave me uh, a grow kit to grow at home and also said anything I have growing, uh, that I want to maybe a bit more space than to just bring it down and, and put it in. So I had a few things like I had beetroot that was growing uh, in my flat because um, we have very sunny windowsills. We're very lucky with that. But beetroot can only grow so big in a pot. So I wanted to I wanted a bit more space for it and brought it down to the garden and then it grew to kind of giant proportions. So um, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I first got involved with the project. Um, and then when it came to I was just about to graduate. Neil was moving uh, away so uh, a position opened up for me um, and the guys already knew me because I've been involved with the, the social botanist project what is what we call the, the community gardening project um, and yeah that's how that's how it planned out. I love that you got involved in such like pardon the pun but such an organic way you know mm. like it sounds like it was just something that you were passionate about and you got to know the community I'm fascinated to know how you can take a strip of land in a place like an industrial estate and allow it to be a place that can harvest or allow plants to grow like did you have to do a lot of work on the soil for people who are listening that maybe you know are looking out their window at a similar space how do you get the soil or the, or the land to be fertile enough to to go and plant your beetroot or plant your seeds so this is one of the interesting things that 
so the soil was put there before I got there. Um, and so something very much that I'm working on at the moment, because that's one of the main challenges. Um, it was just topsoil that was put on top. So we had, we had, there's kind of like a, a layer of canvas that was put down the garden and then topsoil was put on top, which um, the early pictures of the garden make uh, the soil look very, very high quality. It's kind of the nice dark co- color. Um, but now it's kind of been established for um, almost two years now. It's become very kind of compact and clay-like. Um, so actually, considering how much does grow there, it's kind of am- <laughs> it's amazing to me that it, there is so much that grows there. Because in terms of the soil quality itself, that is more of a challenge at the moment in trying to improve that uh, and certainly the soil structure. There's loads of worms in, in the soil, which definitely helps. But there's things like as well. So, I mean, snails and slugs which are often known as gardeners' enemies, they actually do decompose the organic material and that, that would also improve soil structure as well. I know the kind of main lesson for me with the soil structure is that we had a section of the garden where we had kind of rows of juniper shrubs that were planted. And juniper, uh, obviously being a distillery, juniper is the quintessential ingredient of gin. So we want to have juniper berries Um and we want to have juniper plants established. Uh, they grow very well in Ireland. They grow. They, they can be a native plant to Ireland as well, like in the west, in the Burren, uh, and in the Aran Islands, they have wild juniper growing. Um, the juniper we had was Macedonian juniper. Um, but there were a few that seemed like they were burning in, in the summer sun last year. And I thought that was because they were very exposed, uh, and that was why they were kind of dying. But then we have a couple of wildflower patches in the garden, which I'll get into a bit more later. But um, so they were a lot more overgrown. And as I was, the one thing I was I was managing about this section was I was clearing some of the bindweed, which is a it's a native plant, but it can strangle everything in its path. Yes. So that would be the only thing I'd be getting rid of uh, in that section. And then I discovered in the midst of of kind of the foliage uh, and the brush was. Uh, a juniper doing really well so a juniper that had been planted there already so I thought oh maybe it just needs some shelter so I moved the others into the shelter uh, of the wildflower patch and then suddenly they did much better and that's where they are now and they've done a lot better I think I saved most of the juniper I think we only lost one of the junipers Um, but actually doing a bit more research about juniper it is sun tolerant and obviously (laughs) like Macedonian juniper and and in the Mediterranean juniper would be fine so what I actually think happened is because there was a lot more biodiversity in the wildflower patch and there would have been a lot more foliage that was falling to the ground, a lot more insects um, eating and ingesting and decomposing in the, the organic matter is that I think the, the soil quality was so much better in the wildflower patch compared to the other section where there was just the topsoil. So I think actually it was the nutrients from the wildflower patch that helped that thrive. Mm-hmm. So that's a great lesson in, in the sense of that having a variety of plants means that you will then get higher quality soil structure. Um, So certainly with that section, we now know that's very rich section of the garden. Uh, Other sections of the garden, we need to do uh, a bit more work. But there's things we can do, like uh, depending on the plants that that grow, coffee grinds are great. So on my my route in, because I live in Inchicore as well, so it's a it's all but a seven minute commute walk uh, for me in the morning, which is which is lovely. But I'll pass by some local cafes. Um, So I, I pick up coffee grinds from Greenville unfiltered coffee um, and boom coffee as well also give us their coffee grinds and whilst we use some of that uh, from boom in uh, a kind of a spent espresso martini bottle cocktail that, that we make a lot of it will go into the garden um, as a kind of mulch and what's great about coffee is that uh, most of the acidity is lost in the brewing process so it doesn't 
alter the the soil uh, pH too much, uh, but it does add a lot of nitrogen to the soil. So a lot of plants um, like fruit trees, blueberries, they they'll absolutely love the added nitrogen and and also the slight acidity as well. Um, for things like lavender, you wouldn't want to add uh, coffee grinds around that because the problem with that uh, that is that lavender really doesn't like any kind of acidity, so it would it would kill it. But if you're if you're kind of tactical with different elements you can put in uh, the the coffee grinds, then um, then it can def- definitely improve the soil structure. And like another another part of the estate as well, where also another bit of tipping tipping land. Um, I know Vicky before I came on had spread some wildflower seeds over there to try and get something growing around that, that around that section, um, and just nothing was growing there. And then I started adding coffee grinds to that section of, of, of land. And then within a few days, there were mushrooms growing there and then the wildflower seeds germinated. So it just shows that with a bit of added nutrition and um, improved soil structure, then things will grow. I knew that coffee grinds were really good for mushrooms. I have a friend who's growing mushrooms solely from just adding different coffee grinds at the moment, which I thought was so fascinating. But I had no idea that you could just experiment, especially with fruit trees. And other things and just see if it does help improve the soil quality and I mean that's something that everyone has at home I've definitely had mixed results when I've tried to do some wildflower planting in my garden but maybe it just needs a little bit more acidity and nitrogen so I'm definitely going to try that tip that's really cool I think everybody over the last couple of years has seen those bombs that you can get bee bombs and wildflower bombs that literally all you have to do is scrape the topsoil and just lash them out and Ireland loves them so it's awesome to hear that they're supporting things then like juniper and it sounds like I mean for anyone who's listening it sounds like juniper is the kind of thing that you could grow at home if it is growing so so freely in Ireland at the moment yeah I mean I think with juniper as well like it can because you often when you buy them uh, they they will come as shrubs uh, like small shrubs so they, they grow pretty well in containers we have a couple that are in containers um the thing with the berries is that they take we can take up to three years to, for the berries to ripen. So you'll get flowers one year, then you'll get green berries the following year, and then the the purple berries that you'd use uh, for for gin and also um, delicious recipes as well. So, um, but it's certainly it's it's very it's a very nice plant to have. It's it's kind of got that piney, sprucey kind of atmosphere to it. Even just even looking at it is nice. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy to grow. At the garden at the moment that you're managing, how much of it are you actually using back in the distillery at the moment? So at the moment, because of the time of year it is, uh, there's not too much growing um, in t- that, we, that we would use. Um, so that would mainly come at around spring, summer and then autumn. About half of the garden is more botanical based or uh, edible. Um, so the lower end of the garden, um, as you move towards the distillery, uh, is more more oriented towards that and what's great is that so many of those plants were grown from seed by people in the community by the social botanists in the social botanist program so either from grow kits uh, like the one i got uh, or seed packs or even just donations from people in the community as well so we get we got a lot of plant donations which is great so at the moment like we have some onions that are growing um, some garlic but they're not so much things that we would use in, in the drinks uh, or I'm yet to hear of a convincing argument for for them to be used <laughs> as, a, as a drink but um there's there's stuff like we have mint we have lemon thyme we have thyme sage as well sage is something that's done really well in the garden to the extent that we don't really know what to do with it um there's a few there's a few bars like I know crew in town uh, they have 
uh, a delicious cocktail that they have a sage garnish with. Um, and they actually came down to the distillery and they were asking us how we <laughs> how we grew such great sage. Um, but uh, there's also things like we have uh, a lot of parsley growing. Parsley overwinters very well. Again, it's not something necessarily we'd use so much in the drinks. Um, coriander as well. That was that was one. We had a patch of it that was again that was a, a community donation. So um, a lady came down to the garden while I was working there and said she just moved from the countryside and didn't have a garden anymore and asked if there was any space that she could grow something. So she planted a patch of red spinach um, and coriander as well. And that coriander is self-seeded. So it's, it's coming back again uh, and coriander seeds we use in the gins. So, uh, cause it's kind of got that citrusy, citrusy, spicy, spicy kick to it. Um, we have caraway as well, which is in the carrot family and the seeds for that are kind of quite anisey licorice, licorice like, and that again self seeds really easily, so that that will grow, and then I'll harvest the seeds, and then it will grow again. And fruit trees as well. So the fruit trees, other than the damson trees, so the wild plum tree, most of them because it was the first first year they kind of established, didn't fruit. Although there was a crab apple tree that fruited on three separate occasions, which again, <laughs> absolutely bizarre. So a confused a confused crab apple. But recently as well, uh, one of our social botanists donated 31 trees to us. So we actually wow. planted 31 trees, um, which included blackthorn, uh, so slows. So you can make slow gin from that, which is delicious. We actually made a very small batch with the social botanist because we went out on a foraging trip and got some blackthorn, got some slow berries uh, that then Luke in, in the lab turned into a, a slow gin. We have a, a collaboration as well coming up with um, Pocket Forest, which is run by uh, Catherine Cleary and Ash Comrade Jones. Uh, and they plant mini native pocket forests, basically. So and they, they do a lot of work of, of taking small sections um, of land and then working on soil structure. So they're, they're amazing for working on, on the soil. Mm-hmm. So uh, the idea is kind of to mimic a forest floor. So to add lots of bark, lots of rotting wood um, and kind of mimic those those conditions and then to plant the the small native trees and then hopefully to generate them into into a forest as well as like establishing wildflowers around them as well for the garnishes we can't solely rely on the garden mint for uh, the social gym production anymore but again that's something i'm working on trying to get different types of mint as well so we have some korean mint which i've never grown before i'm not sure what the flavor will be like but there, there's a few korean mints uh, that have gone out and grow grow kits uh, apple mint as well and we had chocolate mints in the garden, which is kind of, it tastes like an after eight, but there are other, other ways we kind of use stuff from the garden as well. So over summer, we were doing cocktails of the week. So different cocktails each week. And we did a Nom Collins, which is basically a riff on a Tom Collins. So a kind of alcohol, alcoholic lemonade, but in an edible cup. And uh, Luke made a lemon thyme foam to go on top of it. So it was using the lemon thyme from the garden. Uh, and making a foam uh, to go on top of that and he's also made a limoncello from 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 it as well and from lemon lemon balm i believe as well but then the top of the the top end of the garden would be more ornamental and wildflower based so we have those dedicated sections we're part of the all island pollinator plan as well uh, which i'm sure you know about which is trying to um, establish these pollinator corridors across island uh, across the island of ireland um, and we've really seen the effects of that in terms of just how much we have growing in the garden. As I said, the soil quality isn't necessarily great. I think one of the reasons that we've still had a great produce of, of botanicals, um, certainly the herbs, is because of the amount of pollinators we have in the garden. 90% of fruiting flowers need pollinators in order to produce fruit. So 
the fact that we have such a good hall of, of botanicals, I think is, is for the most part and due to that. And also the fact that the garden gets a lot of sun sunlight as well. So I think that's why we have so much that is successfully growing there. Um, but when you encourage pollinators, you're also encouraging pests, which can be a problem. Um, and one of the, the ways we want to use the garden is not using pesticides or anything like that. Oh, so so to ask that that would be so yeah. in line. Yeah, of course. So how do you manage that then? So by having these wild sections um, that uh, so it's still wildflowers, but I'll manage that a bit more. So I'll get rid of things like buttercup which the root system can be strangling the other flowers. But then on the other side of the garden, which is where the junipers were, um, I was only getting rid of the bindweed, so just letting everything grow there. So we had ragwort growing there, which a lot of people would often get rid of because it can be toxic. And so uh, in the countryside, it's often dug up because it will cause liver failure in horses. But then it's also a great food source for bees. Uh, and also it's the it's the only food source for the cinnabar moth as well. If anyone's had a walk in the Irish countryside, it's that kind of massive yellow weed, but it's gorgeous. I don't like yeah. I, I don't believe in the word weed anyway, but it's beautiful. But I know it can be yeah. toxic. But again, like that in a small managed area where there's no no livestock around, I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, and like you'll see the the caterpillars on it. So they're kind of these stripy yellow and black uh, caterpillars, and then the moth that comes. It's a nocturnal moth, and it's a it's a red and black black moth, which is absolutely stunning. So if you get rid of all these plants everywhere, then it means that these these insects these these creatures aren't going to have the food source and they're they're really important pollinators so that we'll have that section of the garden which is is left to its own device really and then because of that what then happens is that pests that will come to the garden there's a lot more food for them in the overgrown sections so they'll tend to go to those sections instead of the botanicals which we want to keep clear so it then also encourages predator insects such as um, ladybirds and we had so many ladybirds I think we probably had about a thousand ladybirds in the garden last year just in in the sense that I was I kept noticing these little beetle things that were kind of resting on the the wooden borders of the garden uh, I had no idea what they were and then I saw that they a ladybird kind of came out the shell of one and I realized that actually they were ladybird larvae um, so and there was just so many like every every day there'd be there'd be more and more um and again, that went right through to, to autumn as well. And even now, as I'm as I'm digging certain sections of the garden, I'll notice ladybirds uh, sleeping underground. So I'll try not to disturb them as, as best I can. Because obviously, if you do want to grow things and for anyone who's listening wants to grow things to use in their cooking or whatever, obviously that needs to be managed. But it sounds like a wonderful way to offset all of the pests and the pesticides is to leave a section wild and let them all go there that's where the party is and then you can keep your other parts uh, we have such a major issue with pesticide use in Ireland uh, especially from our agriculture but in terms of you know gardeners as well so the more that we can move away from it the better so I think that is honestly that's the best tip and when I'm approaching my garden this year I'm definitely going to do that and just let one part unmanaged less work except for the the one weed that you mentioned which can strangle everything and then have your section that's lovely and, and curated like, first of all, I've never wanted to drink more at half 11 in the morning. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, these sound delicious. But second of hmm. all, it sounds like it's such a an amazing way for people to come together in the community. I mean, especially when you live in a big city, sometimes you can go years without meeting your neighbours or interacting with each other, especially after the two years that we've had, where we've basically been in our homes. So is there a nice like social aspect to the garden as well? 
Yeah, massively. And again, that was one of the appeals to me is that during the main lockdown and it that was the time when I started to explore my local surroundings a bit more, um, even just to get out the house and uh, just even the sense of, of like my colleagues now as well. Uh, so Luke, who I work with, was kind of the first people I got to know as a customer. Um, but it felt like we were friends pretty pretty soon uh after that and to the extent that like with with college we had uh, a botanical society and i asked him if he wouldn't mind like doing a little talk about how the the botanicals work with gin uh with the with the society so and he did that for us um so we had a little event over zoom uh, of course but uh where he was explaining the botanical side of gin um but then in terms of expanding from that like i mean we had one of the first events I remember going to, uh, still as a social botanist, was um, a tasting of some uh, a product the guys had made um, from stuff they'd foraged. So they called it foraging, um, Very and that clever. was yeah. We we do love puns at Still Gun, um, much to Alan the head distiller's despair, I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they they made a foraging, so it wasn't strictly speaking a gin. Um, it wasn't something that was being sold either. It was just a very small batch just for the social botanist to, to try out. Um, and it was uh, infused with the, the wild berries that the guys had harvested. Um, and just that sense of we were all outside, we were all socially distanced, but being in a group of people trying this, this unique drink that no one else was going to get to try. Um, it just, it was really lovely. Um, and being able to get outside of your house and connect with other people. I found, I don't know about you, Joe, but like when lockdown first happened, I noticed that I'd always found Ireland very warm and welcoming. And when you walk past people, often people make eye contact with each other and or might smile or say hello, uh, especially in the countryside. I know everyone you drive past will wave at you. But um, I noticed with lockdown when that when, and when COVID happened, people suddenly got very fearful of other people. Uh, you didn't really want to encounter another person. Or if you did, you were scared of doing doing it because you didn't know if someone else had that had this disease um and that you might then get it so having this kind of situation where everyone felt safe um but you were still able to connect with other people was really really welcoming and it felt uh it, it yeah it felt like it helped me get through the worst of, of lockdown because in a time where people felt so isolated having this way to, to connect with other people was was really lovely um and then when I came on Still Garden, I kind of tried to expand that by doing these community gardening hours. So again, like even when we went into lockdowns, we were still able to do them because they were outside. We were able to socially distance. I mean, everyone is welcome to come down to the garden whenever they'd like. And, and if they want to plant things, then they're welcome to. Uh, if they want to, to harvest some things as well, they're also welcome to. There, But I, I had these gardening hours with uh, the idea in mind that it would, prevent, it would provide a space where either people could get to know me, they could get to know other social botanists and interact with them. I could provide tools um, so we can all kind of do it together if people have questions. Uh, if, if people don't have any idea about gardening and they just want to kind of learn a bit, then they can also come. But like, I mean, I'm learning from a lot of the social botanists as well. Like um, Richard, the guy who, who donated the 31 trees, is a, uh, was a professional gardener. 
and so I'm I'm always learning learning stuff from him as well. Like he's he's like he taught me how to plant the bare root trees that he that he planted that otherwise I kind of would have had to look up how to do. But then having being able to hear his knowledge firsthand uh, is great. But then he's also passing that knowledge on to other social botanists as well. The gardening hours slowed down when we came into to winter in the sense that although there was still a lot growing and a lot of weeds, there was less to do in the garden because uh, the stuff was growing uh, dormant, going dormant. But I still try to incorporate things like foraging walks. Um, there's still a few things to forage at this time of year. Um, and there will be coming into spring as well. And what happens with the foraging walks is we then, uh, the guys in the lab will then try and make something up uh, with, with the stuff we forage. And then that also gives us ideas for future products potentially as well. Also nature walks. We did a nature walk recently as part of uh, a campaign we're running this month called Cultivate, um, which is kind of all about doing what we can for the for the betterment of like ourselves and and the world around us um so doing things like hosting these events of of nature walks and like preparing the the soil for the pocket forest which we did over the weekend and also a community cleanup as well so we do we do those things as often as we can really um and it but again it's it's a it's a situation where people come together people meet new people the nature walk was great because a lot of there were actually there was about half of the people who came wouldn't have come to the gardening sessions that that I host and that they either didn't feel like gardening was of interest to them or yeah they just maybe they had no interest in gardening uh, but they still wanted to get outside to meet other people um so that was that was a, a kind of eye-opening moment for me and that oh yeah not everyone likes gardening but they still might want to be outside uh and and have a nice time um and what we normally do as well with gardening gardening hours is that when we finish, obviously gardening is thirsty work, so we'll, we'll normally enjoy a drink together uh, on the terrace out the front as well, which is which is really nice. So a lot of community spirit here, uh, and I think in in Dublin Eight generally, like there's so many great schemes. There's the Inchcore Environmental Group. Um, there's uh, a lot of uh, guerrilla gardening as well going on. So fruit trees suddenly started popping up in all, all in, in a few of the parks along the canal as well, and that was a community initiative. Um, there's a park as well, very close to where I live, near near Richmond Barracks, called Turvey Park. And that, uh, I remember when I first moved to Inchicore, uh, we looked at, my flatmate and I looked at an apartment that was right by this park. And when you walked around that park, it was one of those parks that had very much been neglected and didn't necessarily feel like a nice place to be in. Mm. Uh, there was like an old concrete football pitch that had just, you know, like the the goalposts were kind of hanging down and there was a lot of litter and, and sharp objects around a broken glass. Um, but if you go to it now, it's like a, a botanical paradise and that there's like wicker arches, there's baskets everywhere, there's flowers, bulbs everywhere. And it's right by the Kamak river as well. So it's got, it always had that potential. It just needed a bit of love and care. And that again is completely community driven. Um, so, and there's a lot of crossover as well with the environmental groups who uh, really work hard with community cleanups uh, week in, week out. And then the people planting the fruit trees. Uh, there's even a WhatsApp chat um, where if people want to get involved uh, with any kind of gardening schemes, then that's always, there's a constant conversation about that there. But also if someone's looking for some seeds or some plants, or maybe they have um, plants they want to get rid of, uh, then they'll offer it on that group chat. And then uh, you can go and pick them up or, or and things like that. So uh, I know I've got, I got for the garden, I got some water mint that was propagated from West Cork. Um, 
by someone in the community. So I got that for the garden. Uh, and she, she also gave me some marjoram as well to go into the garden. So, and again, that's all free. Like that's not, you're not changing, no money is changing hands there. So uh, it's a great way to meet your neighbors uh, and you already have a common shared interest there. Uh, but it's also a nice way to, to get more involved with the gardening and botanical aspect as well. And it takes from everything you're saying, it takes so much of the stress out of it. Like I'm sure maybe the reason a lot of people didn't want to go to a gardening hour is some people are intimidated, like they've never gardened before. They think it's very complicated. They're not sure where to start. So to have a community where you can share the information, share plants, share seeds and do it in a group is so much more appealing. And just adding another layer to community you know who doesn't want more greenery and more flowers and you know more things growing around it's just it's just a matter of getting there listen I think everyone who's listening is now a dying for a drink at the distillery (laughs) be be ready to join you for either a gardening hour or a walk or a foraging trip I can't think of a better way to just get inspired and you've given so many great tips there for people who are inside and have no light you know in a room or who maybe have a small patch, feel like maybe the soil isn't great, but there's something that they can do with it. I can't wait to meet you in person and join. But uh, for anyone else who's listening, what's the best way to get involved? Yeah, so still go on distillery.com. There's a sign up page on there for the Social Botanist Project. And then I'll send out emails whenever we have something going on. Uh, I know some people just like getting the emails and hearing what's going on in the garden. Um, some people are only interested in the foraging trips um, and then other people want to want to hear what's going on but we also have an instagram just for the social botanist project which is still garden underscore social botanist and again like you can even follow that just for nice pictures of, of bees I, and, and things i find in the garden thank you for such an inspirational and green conversation on what is such a grand holiday i can't imagine being <laughs> out in the garden but i know those days are going to come very very soon so thank you so much for the inspiration to get us started and i will see you at the distillery very very soon hopefully thank you so much connor thank you joe thanks